Titus chapter number 2. A number of weeks ago, um, really all the way back in January, we were talking about the fact that everybody and his brother wants to have 2020 vision this year, right? It's the year 2020, and uh, every church has as its motto having 2020 vision, I'm sure. And as I was praying about that late last year, really throughout the last quarter of last year, what would you have us uh, pursue, Lord? I thought, as, as I'm thinking about 2020 vision and what does the Lord want us to accomplish in the year 2020, I had in my head external things, things like Operation Christmas Child, for example, and, and certainly who wants us to do those things. And Lord willing, there's even another children's ministry I'd love for us to learn more about and potentially partner with this year. More to come on that later. Um, but, but, you know, we've got missionaries all over the globe with whom we partner, and, and we've got uh, giving for the Buxtons, and we just took a, an offering, and the Lord blessed for uh, Ramsey Kamar and his wife, and that was specifically to help them get back to Israel because he was saying that the, um, uh, the cost of transportation, I guess, is quite high this year. And so uh, praise the Lord for that, and thank you, friends, for being so obedient and giving to, as the Lord leads. But as, he, as I prayed and sought the Lord on this matter, he really began to impress upon me that we, collectively as a church and as the body of Christ, and certainly individually, cannot truly be effective for the Lord. We cannot have 2020 vision externally until we have 2020 vision internally. And so the Lord really began working on me about what it means to truly walk with the Lord. What is it the Lord requires of me? In Micah 5, uh, the Lord tells us that, that he requires us that, that we walk with him. Well, how, what does that look like? What, how do you do that? And if you're anything like me, I remember growing up in a terrific Bible-preaching church, but an awful lot of the time I would hear terrific biblical teaching. In fact, all the time that I was there. I heard fantastic biblical preaching. But oftentimes, and this is not a shortcoming of the preaching or the teaching in that tr tremendous church in central Indiana, the failure would be on my end. I did not take the word of God and make it applicable. I didn't allow the Lord. To, I, I've got all kinds of Bible knowledge that I learned as a kid. I learned way more Bible growing up in a Bible-preaching church than I ever did in seminary. Um, and I'm, I, I can't tell you how thankful I am of that. I'm old enough now, I don't always remember the reference, but that's okay, because with technology now, I can go type in a phrase, and boom, there it is. Uh, I did it just this morning, and some, some other things popped into my head, and, and I'll, I've already forgotten where they are. Um, but... But, but I'm thankful, friends, for all of that Bible teaching. But that Bible teaching uh, um, lacks impact if I don't allow it to change me. That is the entire goal, in fact. The, the Lord tells us, and if you read the New Testament in particular, uh, being to the New Testament church, his goal for us is that we be changed, that we have the mind of Christ, if you will. And so as I got to into the, uh, I believe the Lord led me to this little bitty Pauline epistle, as it's called, and we talked about what that means. It's written by Paul, so that's why it's called Pauline. It's an epistle, which is just a letter written by an apostle. That's what an epistle is. This is an epistle written to this young man, Titus, very similar to the way he wrote to Timothy. And yet, in these three little bitty chapters, friends, there is so much meat 
here uh, and in the in the book of Titus in this little letter of Titus there's so much here to help us have uh, a character that God wants us to have he doesn't want us to be a character Andy he wants us to have the character of God and so he, he gives that to us here in Titus. And friends, it is so, when you, when you really look at it and pray over it and think about uh, uh, what is this saying about Jesus and what does it mean, what, what is God expecting from me in terms of you? This is an incredibly applicable little letter. We've already seen some of that. We went through the first chapter. Now we're into the second chapter. We're going to pick it up here in Titus 2. And we're going to start in verse number 6. But let's pause first and ask the Holy Spirit of God to work in us. Holy God, as we approach your word right now, I pray, first of all, Lord, that I would be fully yielded to you. Lord, I pray that everything that Mike would desire, everything that I would, uh, 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 all of my ambitions and pride and, and all of it, Lord, is just destroyed right now. Let me be fully yielded to the Holy Spirit, Lord, and fill us with your word. I pray, Father, that we would not only understand it, but that we would take it in, and that you would graft it to our hearts and that we would be changed, that we would be the people you would have us to be for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Titus 2, look at verse number 6. We pick it up here. Uh, in fact, let's just get a running start. Let's go back to uh, verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, this is where we pick it up. Now, as we, get, as we approach this... I want you to remember something. It's on the screen here. There is a word and variations of this word that we see all throughout these three chapters. And that word is sophron. Say that with me. Sophron. Sophron means to be of a sound mind. Uh, and, and specifically, it means, if you will, uh, as uh, the book of John tells us, to have the mind of Christ. To have a mind, a, a, a thinking process that is founded on the truths of the word of God and obedience to it. To have a sound mind spiritually, and then, as a result of that, to have self-control. To be self-disciplined. Specifically disciplined in obedience to the word of God. That it means that we are walking so closely, we, are, we love God to the degree that we are obsessed, if you will, with his word and with obedience because those things draw us closer to him and it becomes this cycle. I love God, therefore I'm obedient to him. And as I'm obedient to him, I love him more and I become even more obedient. And it just cycles like that. Have a sound mind and based on that sound mind, your behavior exhibits a discipline spiritually. So frone. And we've seen that a number of times in that first chapter, and even there in the early uh, verses, uh, it was there quite a number of times. Now, verse number six, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. This is sophroneo. It means to be of a sound mind, to be in one's right mind, to exercise self-control, 
to put a moderate estimate upon one's own self to curb one's own passions. It means to be submitted entirely, entirely to the Lord. Young men, be sober-minded. Be spiritually mindful. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. This word pattern, uh, it, the word there in the Greek is typos. It means to uh, the mark of a stroke or a blow, an imprint, uh, a figure formed by a blow or an impression of the image of God. So it means this, friends. It means, uh, in essence, to be forged. It means that you are so pliable that the Holy Spirit of God can form you into whatever God wants you to be. It means you are obedient to him, even as Jesus was obedient unto death. Now, friends, this is serious stuff. This needs to speak to us as Christians in the United States of America and in this world because we are so easily distracted by the things of the world. They are attractive. Sin is fun. It irritates me when preachers get up and, and evangelists and whoever, they get up and they rant and rave about sin and I just don't understand how people engage in sin. Oh, yes, you do. It's fun. If it wasn't fun, nobody would do it. Of course it's fun for a while. Then it comes time to pay the bill. You know, it's fun to go out to eat around here, but have you paid the bills around here lately? Shoo is right. It's not fun to pay the bill, right? Friends, that, be, that pales in comparison to paying the bill for our sin. The Lord is long-suffering, and sometimes people will misinterpret that as meaning, uh, uh, seeing him as being permissive. This is okay with him because he hasn't spanked me yet. Friends, you don't want to go to the Lord's woodshed. You don't want to be there. Avoid it at all cost. Walk with him. Not only is it to be avoided, but you are denying yourself abundant blessing from God when we live as complacent, lukewarm Christians. Go read what the Lord says about lukewarm Christians in the book of the Revelation. He'd rather spit you right out of his mouth. I mean, if you ever tasted something that just, it could have been so good, but it wasn't prepared well. Uh, I, I remember going to a really expensive steak joint one time. And uh, I don't remember what cut of meat it was. I, all I know is that when it came, it was burnt on the outside. I mean burnt black and still raw in the middle. That's not a good steak. That's not something you want to eat. And the Lord says that if you are a lukewarm Christian friend, if you are living in your comfort, he is not happy and pleased with you doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to be comfortable. What it means is that he doesn't want that comfort and the things of that comfort to be your God. He doesn't want those things. He doesn't want your comfort to be your goal. He wants to be your goal. And he wants to walk with you, and he wants you to walk with him. He wants you to have this pattern, this imprint of good works. It means that you are so close to him that he, he is reflected in you, and the good works you do are the result of him working in you. Did you follow that? The good things that we do, friends, don't come from us. They come from him. And they only come to the degree and in the magnitude that we allow him to. 
That's why there's a little church even smaller than us in, in uh, I think it's really near Galveston, Texas. I don't know if it's in Galveston, but it's way down there on the coast of Texas, out in the middle of nowhere, little bitty tiny church. Last year they packed 11,000 OCC boxes. Friends, that's miraculous. They did that because God did that in them. By the way, they've been doing that for years. OCC had to finally build a distribution center. I think it's in Dallas, maybe, because that little church was overwhelming Texas. The entire state of Texas, God was doing that because they are submitted to God. And they are obedient to what God has called them to do. Don't get caught up, by the way, in 11,000. That's not the point. The point is they are obedient to God. And he may change your focus. He may change your ministry. And he may do so rapidly. We don't know what God, we, you know, we did a certain number last year, but that doesn't mean we're going to do the same thing this year. We maybe do less and do something else. We maybe, maybe we do 12,000. I don't know. We do what God says. Why? Because we need to be imprinted by him. We need to be typosed <laughs> by God. A pattern of that. Show thyself a pattern, an imprint of good work. Continuing on, verse 7. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that word in the Greek. But it means incorruptibility, it means soundness and integrity of mind. Uh, that means uh, uh, in doctrine, showing integrity, not changing the word of God, not interpreting it to mean what you want it to mean. It means being true to the word of God. Gravity, Gravni gravity in the Greek is semnotis. It means the characteristics of a thing or a person which entitles to reverence and respect of dignity, sanctity, honor, and purity. So in doctrine, again, show purity and integrity to what the Word of God says, not what we want it to say. Are you seeing a pattern here of having the mind of Christ and being true to God, of being surrendered to Him fully, to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God? Continuing on, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Here again, friends, he's ta he talked earlier about our communication, and, and the Lord often talks about the things that come out of our mouth. God goes so far in his Bible to tell us that nothing should come out of our mouths except that which is good to the edifying of others. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is edifying, that, that which builds up spiritually, that encourages someone, that teaches someone, perhaps even lovingly challenges them in something. I believe in spiritual liberty. I do not believe in spiritual liberty to sin. <laughs> I believe we have been set free from sin, and we have been set free to God. And so don't, don't twist that. Don't let the, the enemy, don't let your own flesh twist these things to mean something that they don't. Friends, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Talk in such a way that you can't even be accused of wrongdoing. This goes hand in hand with other scripture that we saw in chapter 1 where, where the Bible teaches that your behavior should be above reproach, if you will. It should be above accusation. Live your life in such a way that others can't even accuse you 
of wrongdoing. And if someone does, you be living in such a way that the other people who know you look at that person and say, you're out of your mind. There's no possible way. That's what chapter 1 talks about. Let those who accuse you be ashamed. Friends, you don't have to be guilty of wrongdoing to ruin a ministry. You just have to be accused. That's why as a pastor, I know I'm crazy conservative. And I do that on purpose. Because if I'm going to make a mistake, it's going to be on the side of conservancy because I don't want anybody to be able to even make an accusation against me. How many ministries have we seen where a, a ministry was, if not destroyed, certainly severely impaired by a simple accusation? Because people in the flesh start thinking, right? Well, what if it's true? What if it's true? They're not even asking, you know, that's true. They're not even making a blanket statement. It just plants that seed of doubt. You plant that seed of doubt, you just, you just severely hindered a ministry. So, you know, I'll give you an example. It's just from my own life because it's all I've got to give you, okay? Sometimes people will call and ask for counseling. I have a rule that if a lady, if a female calls and wants counseling, I, I do not counsel women alone. No exceptions. This is what I call a non-negotiable. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And I remember one time a lady in town called and she wanted some counseling on something. I said, okay, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to meet with you, but please be aware I don't meet with ladies alone. My wife will be present. Well, she didn't like that. No, I want to meet with you. I said, no. <laughs> My wife will be present. If you want to meet with me, my wife's going to be there. And uh, uh, so, th why? Because no one's going to be able to even accuse of something like that. And so, live in such a way, friends, that you can't even be accused. And the Bible here in verse number 8 is telling us the same thing about our speech. Don't let, you need to have a consistent, remember we just said a pattern of good works, you need to have a pattern, an imprint of God that influences your speech, and you have a pattern of speech that cannot be condemned. Why? That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, the Bible says, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants, verse 9, to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things not answering again, not talking back. Now, you'll notice here that it talks about servants, but this is applicable to us as employees. Do your job. Do your job well. By the way, you don't see anything here that says, if you like it, do it well. No, it just says do it and do it well. Do all things, the Bible teaches, unto the glory of God, right? All things, all things. So when you're doing your job, do it to the best of your ability and do it well and don't smart off to your boss. That's what the Bible says, not answering again. So do a good job. And we have an issue in the United States, I believe, today that everybody, many people, are entitled. Everybody thinks they're worth more than their boss thinks they're worth, right? And we have this thing in our head that I will work and I will produce whatever my job is to the level that I think is commensurate with what they're paying me because they don't pay me enough. They don't pay me what I'm worth. So I'm going to hold it back just a little bit. And then if they give me a raise or when they give me a raise, then I'll ramp it up a little bit. 
why would I give you a raise? D do you see even the logical disconnect there, let alone the spiritual disconnect? So friends, do your job and do it well. Julie was just recently telling me, I don't remember who it was, I hope it was nobody here, but she was telling me about some fella that had left the job I don't know if he retired or went to another job, I don't remember, but his employer called him and talked him into coming back because he found out that he was actually doing the work of four guys. And when he left, they realized he was doing the work of four guys. And so they, they talked him into coming back and I think they upped his pay because he had produced first. He had done his job and the Lord honored that. And he did it without mumbling and griping about it. Do your job, friends. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Verse 10 is connected here. Not purloining. Not purloining. What does purloin mean? I remember hearing that word in cartoons way back in the day. You don't hear purloining anymore, right? Purloining means to embezzle. Don't steal. Don't steal stuff from your boss but showing all good fidelity. Fidelity here is conviction and adherence to the truth. It's faithfulness, excellence in nature. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, uh, our Savior, in all things. Why? So God is telling us here to, to conduct yourself in a, an unreproachable manner. Not for our own benefit, but that God would be glorified in it. Friends, our lives, look right here for a minute. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been purchased. We're going to see here in just a moment in this passage that we are his possession. He owns us. He paid for us with his blood and his life. We are his. And frankly, friends, we are expendable for the cause of Jesus Christ. He has the right to do with us and to us and in us anything that glorifies and pleases him. Anything. Up to and including death. But friends, the Bible is teaching us that we need to be true to the word of God that others may glorify him. Verse 11 now. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now let's pause right there. The grace of God appeared to all men. What does that mean? Somebody just said it. The missionary lady. <laughs> Friends, this is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God bestowed on us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he appeared. This, this is a, a doctrinal statement. This is what we would call Christology. This is talking about Jesus and the reality of his fleshly appearance on earth. And he appeared to all men, not just the men then, all men, because he is recorded in the word of God. And we preach him and we praise him and worship a very risen and very much alive Savior today. Verse 12, teaching us, this is talking about Jesus, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live Soberly. Now that word soberly is sophronos. Sophronos, it's a derivative of this word. It is not telling you to live, uh, in this passage anyway, free of alcohol. <laughs> That's not what this is saying. This is saying, friends, that we are to uh, have the mind of Christ, that we should live 
with that sound spiritual mind, the mind of Christ. Live righteously and godly in this present world, in this messed up, sinful, wicked, cursed world. God has planted us here to represent him. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, the Bible instructs us. In this present world. Now, remember, let's, let's combine this passage right here, this phrase, in this present world, with what we just read about our conversation. Oh, boy. When you talk about politics, be careful how you talk about politics. Specifically, be careful how you talk about those with whom you disagree. So, friends, the Bible is teaching us here to live in this present world in a godly fashion with a mind of Christ. Verse 13, here's our motivation now. So he, he's given us all of these things to do, all of these character traits, all right? These are all character traits that influence our behavior, and here's our motivation. Here's how you stay on target. Here's how you stay focused. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our motivation. Jesus needs to be our focus. Verse 14, Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. When the Bible talks and uses the word peculiar here, it's talking about a possession, that Jesus bought us. He just said that, that he might redeem. He bought us back from iniquity, and he purified unto himself a, a people of possession. We are a unique people group. I believe, just as a sidebar, that this peculiar people is the exact same thing the Bible refers to as elect. The elect is the people group. Just like in the Old Testament, the people group, then and now is the nation of Israel. It's a people group. And the elect and these peculiar people are the possession of God, zealous of good works. That needs to be your passion, the good works of Jesus Christ. Verse 15 now, these things speak and exhort, that is, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Wow, what a passage. But friends, the Bible wants us, he's, the Lord is instructing us. Here are the character traits I want you to have. I will build them into you. I will give them to you that he might be glorified in this earth, in this present world. Friends, be encouraged this morning and be bold in love for the cause of Jesus Christ. Jesus always reached out to people in love. Even when he was angry, he reached out to people in love. Love the Lord your God with everything you are and then love people as a result of that. And in the course of all of that, uh, of growing to love the Lord and growing to love people, he will build into you these character traits that he wants us to have in this present world, to be his representatives. Friends, I hope this is challenging because it's tearing me up. I'll tell you what, I got some stuff I got to fix. I got some stuff I got to let the Lord do in me and get Mike out of the way. We've talked about it in the past that the, the Apostle Paul says in Romans you know, we, we, sometimes you'll hear people say that they need to bring their will into submission and subjection to the will of God. You won't find that in Scripture. It's not there. No, what Paul teaches us is to destroy our will. 
You don't bring it into subjection to anything. You destroy it so that the only will that does exist is God's will. So when people say, I just don't know God's will for my life. Yeah, you do. <laughs> he has revealed it. First of all, kill yours, destroy it, and be willing to do anything God asks you to do. And by the way, be ready to do it. Don't be encumbered by things of this world. Don't be encumbered by debt, for example. Be ready to move when God says move. Be submitted fully to him. Have the mind of Christ. Have so frown. Lord God, we thank you for your Bible.